0: You've heard our open themes with listeners talking about their vocations. Ah. New Hampshire shepherdesses love to listen to issues, etc. Ah. Or what they're doing while listening to issues, etc.
1: New parents love listening to issues, etc.
0: In the middle of the night. We're looking for more of these elements to include in our open themes. Tell us about your vocation, hobby, or what you do while listening to Issues Etc. Call the Issues Etc. comment line 24-7 at 618-223-8382. If you make a mistake, just start over. 618-223-8382. Thanks for listening, and thanks for contributing to Issues Etc. 618-223-8382 whether you're speaking morally or politically it
1: is just wrong to say that pro-life states are making a mistake in passing pro-life legislation and i worry that trump is giving aid to people who
0: are politically averse to doing the right thing on abortion law
1: there are people who are absolutely sure that there are no absolutes And the statement that there are no absolutes is an absolute statement. So that statement violates the law of non-contradiction and can therefore not be true.
0: The woke are not having their own children. My friends on the left have zero to two kids. My friends on the right have two to 12 kids. And so they're not making their own kids. So I think that their hope is to take ours and raise ours and indoctrinate ours.
1: Salvation is forgiveness. Salvation is new life in Christ, not affirmation of our desires. God didn't give the gospel to affirm us. He gave the gospel to save us.
0: This is Brian from Dallas, Texas Dove Hunters love issues, etc., in the field.
1: Adios, Palomas! Aye. Well, tonight there will be the second Republican primary debate held at the Reagan Library near Los Angeles, California. These debates are political theater, but There is something that can be gleaned from them, but much of that has to do with the subjects and the questions that the moderators choose to ask the prospective candidates. What will those questions be, and will any of them veer into the area of religion? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. live on this Wednesday afternoon, September the 27th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly joins us to talk about religion in the second GOP presidential debate, we're going to spend some time after that with you our listeners via email talkback at issuesetc.org and the issues et cetera comment line 618-223-8382 then we'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson David worshiping God in 2nd Samuel 7 and Psalm 24 pastor Tom Baker of Long Gospel will do that with us and it's part 10 of our series kids have questions pastor Jonathan Connor will be alongside to answer some miscellaneous questions Terry Mattingly is senior fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back.
0: Glad to be here.
1: You are known for asking people questions that they don't want to hear. If you were the moderator tonight, that would be something to see. If you were the moderator, (laughs) what are some of the questions that you would be asking?
0: Oh, man. First of all, I think we should stress for our listeners that i am a registered third party voter so to some degree i would not be planning to watch the gop debate although i I must admit i might just like I, i would probably tune in a debate that involved joe biden and robert f kennedy jr even though that would violate my law for not allowing joe biden to be on my tv screen i'm not that much of a fan of these soundbite events, but I am a huge, huge First Amendment guy, and I could definitely see myself asking some questions related to religious liberty and some other First Amendment topics. So, you want to hear a couple, or you want to hear a bunch, or what?
1: Yeah, let's hear a bunch.
0: Okay. Well, here's one that you and I have talked about before, and I think it's actually a very interesting question. I mean, I know what I believe on this topic, obviously, and listeners, I think, would know that. But I think it's an interesting First Amendment question. I would ask the candidates, do some Americans have a religious liberty right to have abortions? And I think that would be a very interesting test of the right to free practice of religion. Now, I know enough about that subject to know that one of the things that a good court and ultimately the Supreme Court, I think, would ask is, wait a minute, is there a world religion in which people need to have abortions or are required to have abortions? And someone could say, well, but my church, my form of Judaism supports a woman's right to choose, and thus I should have a religious liberty ability to answer that question. Now, do you think the candidates would be comfortable answering that one?
1: I think all of them would be in over their head on that one.
0: Well, good. This is a follow-up. Follow-up questions are good. I just realized in my notes here I have a, a follow-up question on that one. I would, If you ask the question this way, why are abortion laws in some U.S. states more liberal than those in Sweden. Now that, once again, presumes you know what the laws are in Sweden. So it would be interesting to find out who knows and who knows that, in fact, that this extremely liberal state of Sweden does have laws that are more restrictive than, say, California. Or something like that. So anyway, that would be my follow-up question there. So let's go to number two. Should the U.S. State Department get involved in church disputes like the orthodox schism in Ukraine? Now, if you know anything about that, you know that the U.S. State Department did play a role in the establishment of the new Ukrainian Orthodox Church that is recognized by the... Ecumenical Patriarch in Istanbul, but at this point is not recognized by any other significant Orthodox bodies And especially not some of the major patriarchates. So that's a question And kind of the sneaky question behind that is are we allowed to ask any Human rights questions about both sides of the Ukrainian of the horrible Ukrainian conflict So that's number two Let me just run on with a couple of others. This is one right out of the headlines right now. Should homeschoolers from other nations be able to seek U.S. political asylum for religious reasons? Are you following the case with the German family?
1: I certainly am. And at this point, they are being refused political asylum by the U.S. State Department.
0: And probably being sent back. And this is I don't, what's the current count for people crossing the southern border per day? Isn't it something like 10,000 at this point? Oh, so at this point, it would be interesting to ask the question, how would you separate the appeal for asylum of this German family who wants to be able to homeschool their children and knows if they go back to Germany, they won't be able to? If you were really pesky, like I sometimes am, you could also ask, well, what if a homeschool family from Mexico? Ask for political asylum. I don't know if homeschoolers are limited in Mexico, but that would certainly be a pushy question. Here's a variation on that abortion question that I asked earlier, but I've got a a, a part one and a part two of this that I think it'd be interesting to see if anybody dared answer this question. The question is, should liberal religious believers be able to choose to begin trans treatments for their minor children as an issue of religious liberty. In other words, I think this would force people into trying to decide why are we limiting parental freedom in some cases and not others, which of course gets you back to the concept of human personhood and the limits on parental rights. My second part of that question, once again, this is Terry Mattingly just trying to be as provocative as possible do you support the right for religious believers to circumcise their babies? So ultimately there you would be asking the question, what is, in terms of U.S. law, what is the difference between a parental right question concerning centuries of tradition linked to circumcision and a religious liberty question linked to modern-day doctrines that are emerging in some religious groups related to what they would call gender-affirming care for children, underage children, minor children, even children the age of five, six, or seven, or eight. You know, you have people advocating that. Do you think I got any chance for an answer on that one? No. I wonder what people are going to say if you ask them. But see, I know that there isn't a reporter, I think, that would ask that question, but do you see that that's a very relevant question? I think right now parental rights and protecting them, yet at the same time trying to define them in ways that might please enough justices on the Supreme Court, or even, dare we even hope, some coalition of U.S. voters that maybe pro-First Amendment Republicans and pro-First Amendment Democrats might be able to agree at some point on some kind of an issue like that. So here we go. Here's another one right out of the headlines, and one that you and I have talked about in these broadcasts. And once again, I've got a kicker on this. Do you favor equal access to government money for both secular and religious Private schools. And then the kicker is does that include schools that would be unpopular with many voters, such as pagan satanic schools? Whereas, if someone wanted to start a satanic private school, would they have the same right to tax dollars for private schools that someone from a Missouri Synod Lutheran Church school would have? And if not, what would the difference be? How would you define that in the law? Now, someone would say, well, there aren't pagan schools. Well, you know what? I wouldn't bet on them not being some in about five years. you got a lot of voters that would say, well, I'm okay with tax dollars going for private Protestant Catholic schools, maybe Orthodox Jewish schools, but I'm not sure about Islamic private schools. So... Once again, pushing people to be consistent on issues of freedom of access laws, I think is always a good question. And I would love to hear candidates answer that one. Another, I know I'm asking questions that come back to the same basic questions in religious liberty, but here we go again. Under what circumstances can government require believers to have vaccines? And then you could kind of have a question joined to that one that would say Should government limit the ability of private companies, even private companies claiming that this is a matter of religious liberty? Could you limit the ability of businesses to have policies requiring all of their employees to have vaccines? Now, see, that might for some people, create a parallel from the left to the courts attempting to deal with, say, Hobby Lobby and other businesses that want to be able to limit their health care plans on issues like abortion, trans surgery, even birth control pills. I'm going to just keep going here for a while. (laughs) Stop me if you want to make a comment.
1: Well, how about a general question for each of the candidates – with a a minute, and some of them won't even take a minute. What is your religious affiliation and how often do you worship?
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair question. And that gets you into something that right now you have all kinds of problems in the press. The press is having trouble, for example, deciding whether DeSantis is in fact Catholic. And they seem to think he's functionally evangelical which raises the question of, is Pence an evangelical? And is Donald Trump an evangelical? But of course, Trump won't be there to ask the question. So maybe you get around that one by asking, this is another question on my list. How would you define the religious right? Who do you think is, or who do you think isn't in the religious right? And are you in it? There you go. That gives you a variation on that question. Was that direct enough?
1: Do you ask the same question about the religious left?
0: That's a great question. Who's in the religious left? And how do you decide the difference between the religious left and religious right? Pesky questions. I got some more, but we can come back to some of those.
1: Terry Mattingly is our guest. We're talking about religion in the second GOP presidential debate. He's senior fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. One of the candidates is a hindu we'll come back to that in a moment
0: the church's music from the 20th century The 17th century The 11th century The 8th century The 4th century The best of the church's music from the past 2,000 years. LutheranPublicRadio.org Solid. Serious. Substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc. In a child's life, meaningful relationships matter when it comes to academic development and spiritual nurture. In Lutheran schools, students know they are uniquely and wonderfully made in God's image. Each day in over 1,800 Lutheran schools, children experience a rich, academic, loving, and Christ-centered environment where they can explore and develop their God-given talents and abilities. To find a Lutheran school near you, visit lcms.org schools. Memorial Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press. Saving Western Civilization. One student at a time.
1: Welcome back to Issues etc. We're talking about religion in the second GOP presidential debate with Terry Mattingly. He's founder and editor of Get Religion. He is author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. So, Terry, one of the candidates on the stage, Vivek Ramaswamy, is a Hindu. I don't know that he has spoken much about that, but I imagine in all the press he's done, and he does press everywhere all the time, someone's asked him about it. Should he be asked, how does your Hindu faith influence your political policy?
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair question. At the same time, your earlier question about what's your faith and how do you practice it is one side of the old question about whether there's a religious test to run for office in American life. At the same time, you could argue it, and I would argue, that religion is so tied up in our politics right now that voters have a right to hear those kinds of questions asked. Now, of course, the minute you bring up Ramaswamy, you also have to turn around and note that there are plenty of people on both the political left and even some in, shall we say, some parts of the Republican Party who want to question the faith of Nikki Haley, saying that she says she's a Christian, but at times she talks about what she learned from being a Hindu, and growing up in that faith, and that she still respects it, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you can simply fold that question to him back into your question for each of the candidates, which is, how would you describe your religious faith, and do you think it's politically relevant to the degree to which you practice it? and if you wanted a part, a third part, and how would it affect, how would it affect your, your uh, presidency? So, I guess we can't say it's a religious test to ask candidates that sort of question in this setting when you have New York Times stories. Um, there was one recently Trump and DeSantis collide as they court social conservatives, which is, of course, another name for religious conservatives. And that story came right out and pursued the question, obviously DeSantis is not a normal Catholic, or he wouldn't be courting evangelicals so much. Well, does that mean that Joe Biden can't actively say his faith is somehow relevant to elements of the black church? I guess what this entire exercise is about today is trying to plead for some kind of consistency on asking hard questions about these issues that apply both to the left and to the right. I guess that's something I've I've always tried to do. And I should also admit to listeners at this point, if there is kind of a unified field theory to my questions today. These questions are pretty complicated, and they're pretty picky, but at the same time, I have deliberately chosen questions that I could totally see showing up in front of the Supreme Court within the next two to four years. I don't think I have a question on my list that we couldn't expect to see reach the court.
1: Before we get to uh, some more of your questions, since you did mention President Trump, there was a recent survey done for Deseret News that asked Republicans who they regarded as a person of faith. I think that was the thing. And I believe it was upward of 60% of Republicans answering that survey said that they regarded President Trump as a person of faith, exceeding even that of, by just a couple percentage points, Mike Pence. Now what was the percentage? 50%? More than
0: 50%. More than 50? Yes. That's interesting. I mean because I'm used to thinking of the Republican, the pro Trump religious voting pool as basically being split about equally, this is where it was in 2016, between people who were openly pro-Trump and might make a statement like that and those who had a complex View that they—they—it's not that they wanted Trump to be president, but they felt they had no other choice. They, the reluctant Trump, religious voter, was a huge factor. About half of those who voted for him in 2016, and I never saw a clear poll in 2020 that separated that somewhat. You'd be interested in knowing that when you sent me the note asking today about whether we could do this sort of a, a list, I sent my questions to several people. That I respect, and one of them answered right back, and the person who answered by email with a question or two was Marvin Alaski, formerly the editor of World magazine, and of course a retired journalism history professor at the University of Texas and his first question that he would ask to each of the candidates was, "How does your moral vision differ from that of Donald Trump and you know I'm trying to avoid. Trump to some degree. But I think that's a a question that it would be certainly provocative for people to answer. And I'm sure they're ready for a question about how they differ from Trump. But moral vision would be an interesting wording. And then Marvin also had another blunt question. Whose ego is bigger, yours or Donald Trump's? Uh, It'd be interesting to see how the individuals on the stage would answer that one.
1: There is also a a story from Mahalsa, a a global news agency, and it's about the showdown between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump that took place in Washington. They were giving kind of back -back speeches a couple miles away from each other. And here's the quote that I found interesting, and I would like your thoughts on it. Mr. DeSantis painted a dark portrait in his two speeches of a country suffering through a national malaise, With the religious right under intense siege, he attacked the expansion of transgender rights, defended school choice policies, and invoked parental rights repeatedly. He also promised to repeal the Johnson Amendment, which forbids tax-exempt entities like churches, from participating in political campaigns for other candidates. And here's the quote, The left views leftist ideology as effectively the national religion.
0: Well, that's something that the court is being pushed on right now. And when you see cases such as the equal access use of funds in schools or those who are opposing some sort of school choice, you eventually come down to the fact who say, well, you're saying we can give government dollars to secular schools. And here's the key in the case. But wasn't it Maine? Yeah, that we had a, a Supreme Court case on this. You can give government dollars. To private schools that are either secular or have religious views that the state approves of on sexuality, etc. But you can't give tax dollars to private schools that have religious views the state rejects. Now, doesn't that sound like an entanglement in religion in which there is a, a valid religion? Or as we would say here, In these podcasts, the press often seems to think that there is good religion and there's bad religion, and they're in favor of one and against the other. So it's not really religion versus secularism. It's forms of religion that conflict with the doctrines that secular think tanks, government officials, etc. approve of. And there are religious groups that have doctrines that are perfectly acceptable to activist groups on the left. So I've never seen it as simply religion versus secularism. I have always seen it as religions that are incompatible with the doctrines of many secular people and religions whose doctrines are now acceptable to the secular world.
1: When we have one of the major candidates that will be standing on that stage tonight, Ron DeSantis kind of saying the quiet part out loud that leftist ideology functions as a religion in American society. Isn't that begging for a a question about what do you mean by calling leftist ideology a religion? I think many reporters would be like stupefied by such an idea.
0: Yeah. I have another question from the headlines that I think pushes at what you're saying. Another one of my questions is should libraries that host drag queen story hours also be required to host events involving traditional form of religious worship, prayer, or even book reading? That's another one of my attempts to kind of push at both sides of that issue. In other words, why is drag queen story hour, which raises obvious religious, cultural, moral issues, why is that acceptable? to a taxpayer funded institution like a public library. Has anybody tried to have Narnia story hour? Has anybody tried to have like Catholic rosary story hour where people actually come to the libraries and learn how to say the rosary? There's a lot of Catholics that pay a lot of tax money. Would that be an equal access case? Now you just made a reference to something else from that story and I think it's a question they should be asked. Should churches be allowed to openly endorse candidates, partisan candidates for office, which is not the same thing as what we've tested in the past, which is whether churches can advocate positions in, from their doctrines that are related to, say, constitutional amendments, abortion laws, et cetera. Courts have said that you can advocate ideas that are in public life, but you can't support with religious taxpayer-funded money, time, and efforts. You can't support partisan candidates, although for some reason unions, environmental groups, and other forms of tax-exempt activist groups, they are allowed to endorse. So here we are. There's that same fine line again. Another question I'd love to hear is, why are there no white, black, or Latino evangelicals on the U.S. Supreme
1: Court? Why do you ask that question?
0: Well, it has to do with a lot of things. But one is, do we have a test about whether you have to go to certain law schools to get on the court? And Catholics have been meeting that test. So kind of lurking behind the Amy Coney Barrett case was the fact that she didn't go to Yale or Harvard. She was from Notre Dame. And once again, there's that religion religion as opposed to Yale-Harvard religion view of religion. Another one that's really important to me because I think it matters, and we've seen some questions lately about this involving governments in Eastern Europe and elsewhere. Here's my wording. What pro-marriage and pro-child bill would you support that you believe could also be endorsed by Democrats for life and conservative Democrats? What do you think you could build a nonpartisan coalition on, on issues related to crucial things in our society right now, which is trying to encourage the retention of marriage, the formation of marriages. and, And also we are, as part of a worldwide issue, sliding into a birthrate crisis that's beginning to affect American life in a lot of ways. I would always want to ask at least one question that asked the candidates, what would you do that would be nonpartisan? And this is me asking a question that I think is relevant to that.
1: So call me a skeptic, Terry, but I doubt that any of your questions, and I know you had more, I doubt any of them We'll be asked tonight during the gop presidential debate with about a minute or so why
0: well i think there will be some kind of parental right question tonight i think the question is whether the person asking it has been paying attention to the breadth of parental rights issues that we're seeing right now in cases that are percolating up toward the court instead of just the obvious one of should conservative religious people be able to have their children pulled out of lgbtq plus classroom and academic materials so i'm expecting a parental right question tonight but i think what you heard and i, I agree with you that i'm asking questions that are more specific than you're likely to hear tonight and there'll be a Ukraine question tonight, but I doubt it will be as specific as mine was. And I think that's frankly because I'm not asking questions that can be answered in a funny sound bite of under 10 seconds. And if that's the case, do you think that all voters are comfortable with that reality in our media and in our political culture? Can we not even discuss questions that can't be answered while shouting at each other, trying to get the funniest one-liner that will make it onto the evening news.
1: Terry Mattingly is a Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much.
0: Glad to be here.
1: When we come back, it's listener email, the Issues Etc. comment line, that email address, talkbackatissuesetc.org, and the comment line, 618-223-8382. You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address.
0: Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org Pumpkin spice-flavoured everything is in the air. It's the perfect time of year to curl up with a nice warm beverage using one of Ad Cruesome's mugs, featuring your favourite Lutheran symbols, Bible verses or Christian humour. For example, Jesus' personality type is INRI. St. Paul is the patron saint of the run-on sentence. And of course, chancel culture is practised here. Visit AdCruesome.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Listen to what you want, when you want. You're listening to Issues, etc.
1: Have you ever wondered about some of the more difficult topics or teachings of Scripture? Such as, what does the Bible say about polygamy, or slavery, or the free will? Or what about law and gospel? The October issue of The Lutheran Witness is a twin to the August 2022 issue, and it takes up some of these difficult teachings of Scripture and explains them in detail. To get your copy, visit cph.org witness or the Lutheran Witness website witness.lsms.org. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective.